Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. I'm here to help you and your family reach your, reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. We all can't stop trying to reach our dreams. That's the key because, because what would life be like if we tried to do that, if we felt that, if we felt that it was just all too hard? Well, let me ask you, do you wake up every morning and feel like you're playing Where's Waldo, but instead of looking for Waldo, you're searching for the latest terrorist attack? Do you wonder if this will go on forever? Do you worry that one day Waldo will be in your backyard? Well, you need to start now to prepare for living with these threats. They are obviously not going away. And we've been, so one of the main problems is that we have all been living in denial, in a state of denial. And this past year or these past few years, as more and more terrorist attacks are occurring and more frequently, we, it's breaking through our denial and we have to face it that we need to address this problem, which I know is hard because you already have so many problems paying the bills, uh, maybe finding a job, taking care of your kids, finding a, a lover or a, a mate, um, all kinds of, of problems and things that you have to deal with. And, um, and now, terrorism. Well, there are ways to do that. Um, first of all, you have to consider this a marathon. And also, because of the stress, I just wanna say right up front that some people are going to need to go to see a mental health professional, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a social worker, some some mental health professional to deal with the stress. I mean, I can give you all kinds of um, tools that to use first to help you physically and psychologically prepare for living in this world that is clearly now, if you doubted it before, certainly now you can't doubt that this is going to continue. Today it was in Nice. Um, it's going to be in, it's been in lots of other places and it's going to be in more. So we can't deny that this is happening unpredictably in places all over the world. And that's the key, unpredictably. That's the problem. I mean, it's bad enough when there are wars and um, there are certain hot spots where these wars are, but when there are terrorist attacks, especially lone, lone wolf terrorist attacks, just like we had in Nice, that was relatively unpredictable, although we'll talk about this man and see how unpredictable it was. One thing that really <laughs> bugs me is that there are reports that um, this man was questioned when he went on the promenade uh, in Nice because it was cordoned off, it had been cordoned off, and somehow he got right where all the people were standing on the promenade watching the fireworks display and listening to a concert for Bastille Day, July 14th, Bastille Day, ironically, or not so ironically, a day of independence, a day of celebrating freedom. Now, I don't know if this particular lone wolf, um, you know, thought of that, whether he whether he particularly chose this day or whether he was responding to the many um, social media uh, commentaries 
about how uh, lone wolves should particularly attack during this time. Um, not because of Bastille Day, but uh, there, there, there were a number of um, posts on social media telling lone wolves to attack. And I'll talk more about that. Um, so let's talk about uh, what, well, I started to say what really bugs me is that this man, they asked him where he was going, and apparently he said that he was delivering ice cream. Well, if they had looked a little further, they would have seen that he had at least one real gun. You know, this is still under investigation, but at least one real gun, and he had supposedly replicas of guns and replicas of, of ammunition um, of different sorts. And, you know, they, they wouldn't have seen any ice cream, <laughs> that's for sure. And they would have known that he was up to no good. That's one of the things that I know makes it really, really hard to um, try to live with, to try to not be more stressed out about, um, that, that the police and authorities, all kinds of authorities, aren't more on top of these things. Um, that, that here, if, if they had looked in the truck or realized that maybe he shouldn't have been going where, heading where he was heading, which was to mow down the people on the uh, promenade, um, this could have been stopped. I mean, that's, that's of course, I mean, you know, it's, it's hindsight is twenty twenty vision, but that of course is one of the things that, um, make people incredibly angry, of course, especially the friends and relatives of the people who were killed and injured. They're saying, so far, they've, they're saying 84 people killed, but surely that uh, number is going to increase because there are dozens of people who are in hospitals at this point, and many of them um, are in a coma and or are in a severe critical medical state, so there will undoubtedly be more deaths to report. So um, there, there, and there were also amongst these we know that we know of. There were two Americans: a father um, and his eleven-year-old son. You know, I, I have been to Nice and I have been to Cannes. Um, I, I went to medical school in Belgium and lived in Paris for two and a half years, and. Um, Actually, I woke up this morning. The way that I found out about Nice was I got an email from my Belgian friend who went to medical school with me. And she's talking about um, an attentat, which is an attack, um, and saying something about, you know, she was in Brussels. Uh, she wasn't. She wasn't in Nice because she has she lives in Brussels, but she has a place in Nice as well. So when she was warning me or letting me know that she was not in Nice, um, I knew that something happened. And lo and behold, I went to Google News and saw all about the carnage. And if you watch the videos um, of the carnage, that it's, it's very distressing, very, very distressing. Um, the man who was driving the truck started out by shooting um, out of the window of his truck and the, as he was, and then he was um, plowing down people in his path, zigzagging. He's been described, the truck was described as zigzagging and just mowing down as many people as he could. 
Um, he waited until after the fireworks were over, which is kind of interesting. Um, perhaps, perhaps there was less uh, security at that point. Perhaps he was waiting for his moment. Um, but he, the, the, another part that's really disturbing is that he drove, um, once he started down the promenade zigzagging, uh, he went for over a mile shooting and zigzagging and killing. And one has to wonder why there were not more police with guns, armed police and other kinds of um, protection along the way. How did he get to be able to go a mile, over a mile, killing people? I, I mean, I'm sure the French people are going to be asking this a lot. Uh, they've already started, actually. And um, th that is one of the frustrating things about the attacks. And, and it's part of, you know, I've talked about this before, how um, with um, uh, previous terrorist attacks, some of the people who were the perpetrators of the attacks uh, had been on uh, FBI watch lists and then were taken off the watch list. And you know, this man, now supposedly, um, it's 31-year-old petty criminal from Nice, uh, his name was Mohamed Boulel, and he was a French citizen of Tunisian descent. Um, one, obviously he was a very unhappy man, I'll tell you about that, but he was divorced, he had problems with his ex-wife. Actually, in some reports they describe her as his wife, but I think um, most later it was found that she was his ex-wife. I guess that's not clear yet. But in any case, um, he was a very disgruntled man, and he was a very he was very vulnerable to being um, persuaded, influenced by uh, terrorist um, po postings on social media. And um, you know, so I identified. This is one of the places. As I said, I lived in Paris for two and a half years. I've traveled all over France. Um, I was in Cannes for the um, for the Cannes Film Festival. Um, I was in Nice when I went to Camargue, um, which is to, to ride the white horses of Camargue. And Nice and, and, and Cannes um, and, the, and Camargue, that whole area in, in the south of France, is so incredibly, incredibly beautiful and peace, normally peaceful. And, and here's a man who lived in Nice um, and, and who was a French citizen, and yet he uh, was able to be radicalized and, and create this uh, incredibly um, horrendous attack. So, um, so, so where do we go from here? Let me tell you more about um, this man. First of all, the Islamic State uh, had issued propaganda videos for months urging lone wolf attackers to use any weapons at hand, however low tech, to stage attacks against a variety of Western targets. And there was one video that came out in April that said, fill your car with gas, my brother. Hurry up, your neighbor is a kafir, an unbeliever. Well, fill your car with gas. You know, did, did this, will we ever know? I guess maybe by looking through his, um, his computer, <laughs> we will may know um, whether he in fact saw that specific uh, urging specific propaganda, but indeed that's what he did. 
you know, that's also what makes this attack particularly scary because, um, it, you know, in other attacks where people have had to make uh, homemade bombs, explosive devices, uh, gather, buy weapons, buy guns and all and so on. Um, but here, you know, here's another way of doing it where you don't have to go through all that. Like if there were more, if there were better uh, gun um, investigations, you know, before you could buy a gun, uh, that wouldn't have stopped this man. I mean, he did have a gun and we don't know yet about the um, how he got it, when he got it and so on. But but and he didn't need a gun. Um, I mean, yes, that obviously helped to kill more people, but certainly taking a huge truck that he rented and plowing the people gathered on the promenade to watch the fireworks display for Bastille Day. I mean, he knew there were going to be hundreds, if not thousands of people on the promenade. Um, that itself would have uh, been enough only a truck <laughs> everybody has a well not everybody has a truck but everybody can rent a truck just like he rented a truck and so that's one of the scariest parts of this um certainly um that we have the an account from um one person a a, a new yorker who was in nice for a business trip she was relaxing and watching the fireworks from her hotel rooftop and then um, suddenly she faced a nightmare. She said, I live in New York. I know what gunshots sound like. And they were definitely gunshots. Then we saw people running. It's hard to describe how I felt when I realized what was going on. Disgusted, shocked, scared. Um, you know, there are, as I was mentioning, there are a lot of videos that people took. You know, that's sort of a double-edged sword now that we can all take videos with our smartphones. We, I don't know how smart it is because um, we, get, we all get to see pretty much in real time what's going on. I mean, there, you know, of course, there are advantages to that. But I don't suggest, in fact, I would want to warn you not to get too absorbed in watching video after video after video of this attack because it is sickening. And that is one of the ways that you can get uh, a syndrome that's akin to post-traumatic stress disorder. In other words, if you were, certainly the people who were there on the promenade uh, would have now most of them at least they would they would be most likely to have um, post-traumatic stress disorder. And of course, it depends upon what their psychological state was beforehand, how how strong they were psychologically or not. Um, but even if you watch, immerse yourselves, you know, not if you watch one or two videos, but if you immerse yourself in videos of this attack or other terrorist attacks, that can have a, a negative effect, as you might imagine, on your mental health. Um, because it it's like almost being there, especially because now these, these videos, you know, it's, you're not watching uh, CNN or Fox, not that, I mean, that some network that has um, some kind of discretion about how much they show you and what they show you. But now you're watching just anybody can put a video up on uh, social media or, you know, and, and you know, the one, the videos that are from the people who were standing right there are obviously incredibly, incredibly gory. Um, well, I was watching some videos this morning 
and um, you know, it is, I mean, I'll admit, it is, uh, it's like, you know, it's like a train wreck or a car accident. It's hard to peel yourself away. But um, what was really striking was in the series of videos that I was watching, the next video that came up, um, just a random video, you know how that happens, um, a random video came up of, so here I'm watching all these videos of the horrendous carnage at Nice, and then suddenly a video comes on of a terrorist training camp where they're training little kids to be terrorists. And the um, subtitles talk about how these are going to be the future terrorists uh, who are going to take over the world, who are going to spread terror all over the world. And these little kids, I don't know, they must have been, they, they could have been as young as five or six um, in, these, in these uniforms and um, learning how to shoot a gun learning how to uh, do martial arts, learning, I mean, you know, these, these little kids figuring out or, you know, being trained on how to shoot a gun, they're the future truck driver of Nice. So that, that uh, juxtaposition of, of those pictures um, was just really unsettling. And so that's, you know, what it says, what's the moral of all this? Well, there's a lot of morals, but what it tells us is it's not enough to stop terrorist attacks when they have, or to, you know, to, to prevent them by, by intelligence beforehand, by, you know, uh, knowing, well, first of all, not taking people off the terrorist watch list so quickly or at all, um, and then uh, trying to stop plots. And then, of course, trying to stop terrorists before they drive a mile and, or more, um, mowing down people and shooting them. But it really tells us that we have to stop them at these terrorist training camps. We have to stop these little kids. I mean, it is so sad. These cute little kids, innocent little kids, before their minds get warped by these people who are training them, these people who are troubled, who are misinterpreting the Quran, who are, of course, radical Islamist extremists, um, but who, who for their own ends, their own hateful ends, are telling these little children um, what they have to do to please their God and, and using um, words from the Quran, totally taking things out of context and misinterpreting things and, and convincing these little innocent kids to, to become the shooters of tomorrow and the killers of tomorrow, spreading hate all over the world, not just France. <laughs> But this is, you know, they're sending their plan is to send them all over the world. And this is where it has to be stopped. Well, let me um, read a letter. This is the Ask the Terrorist Therapist section of the podcast where I answer your letters and emails. This letter is from Charles. Charles says, I'm angry. I retired early so I could travel the world. Now every place I wanted to travel has been attacked by terrorists and no place is safe. What is this world coming to? It makes me wonder, what was the use of working so hard all those years if I can't get to travel and enjoy them? What do you think? Well, first of all, Charles, I hope you got some satisfaction from your hard work. Um, 
And second of all, you probably have many other things to enjoy in your life, like children and grandchildren, hobbies, volunteering for organizations to fix the world or to help people. And then third of all, since no country is immune to terrorism, you might as well travel because it's not necessarily more dangerous in where you were going to go, except for maybe certain hot spots, but then where you live. And I hate to say that, but, you know, it almost makes it immaterial um, to decide not to travel. I mean, of course, other than obvious places, like I've been talking about not to go to Rio, because that's going to be a welcome mat for terrorists. Uh, it was anyway, but with all the chaos there, that's a, that's a total uh, welcome mat that's been put out, out for terrorists. And... Um, and so, you know, we need to, have, I mean, another way of looking at it is that um, since these little, little tiny top terrorists are traveling all over the world, we need to eat dessert first. We need to enjoy our life. And um, sure, it's uh, somewhat of a, anything becomes somewhat of a risk. So, um Again, what you need to do is to, first of all, you know, as this is breaking through your denial, as one attack after another, instead of, uh, you know, putting us in this, it's putting us in this position of looking for Waldo in all kinds of places all over the world, and it's not, they're not as cute as Waldo, they're um, sickening carnage. And what, what it, it's telling you is the time is now to um, stop thinking that some of the things that that um, that you know are right to do are just um, are just sayings, you know, like preparing. Well, what I've been saying, <laughs> preparing yourself as if you were going to a marathon. Um, you would need to physically prepare yourself. You need to get stronger physically. You need to eat better. Um, you need to take vitamins, you need to uh, get eight hours of sleep, you need to um, just make yourself, you need to exercise, you need to make yourself healthier physically, and you also need to make yourself healthier mentally. And uh, that's all kinds of stress relievers from um, aromatherapy candles and plants in your office, in your bedroom, and listening to uh, music that new age kind of music or classical music music that's a that is known to de-stress people and there are a whole many many, many other um uh things that you can do to de-stress yourself but it is important to remember also that this this bombardment that we're all suffering of uh attacks coming faster and furiouser than ever before really may um be the time for you or your loved ones to seek counseling, to be able to talk about it, to be able to, to talk about specifically what this stress, how living under the threat of terrorism is affecting your life, what this stress is doing to you. Because even, you know, um, it's not just psychological stress, but we know that psychological stress causes physical problems from high blood pressure to ulcers to an exacerbation of whatever medical issues you already have. So talking about it, talking it out, you know, yes, the therapist is not going to go out and shoot a terrorist, but um, they are going to be able to help you deal with your stress. 
And so that's just something that I need to add here. Also, you know, not just for yourself, but for your children, that um, there will be signs that you need to look for of anxiety and depression and, and various signs, actually, that I write about in my book that's soon to be coming out, uh, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. And so there are signs that you need to look for in your children as well um that and you think they don't know you think they don't know about these attacks that have been coming you think they're not going to know about nice even if you rush to turn off the television or the radio or try to stop them from checking things out on the computer they hear about these things their friends tell them their th these things if they're even if they're little kids they have older siblings who do know about these things so you need to be very aware of how all of this um, is affecting your children as well. Well, I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. And I'm here to help you keep calm and carry on for you and your family.